And so someone said to Christy after our first son, Henry, was born, you need to uh, take off the sweatpants, dress up nice when your husband comes home, you know, make, make sure you have makeup on because you need to remain attractive so that he remains interested in you and that will be good for your marriage. And she's just like, please don't talk to me again. <laughs> you are not allowed to be around me anymore. <laughs> I've, I've got a kid and I'm wearing sweatpants Absolutely. all day, every week if I want. Wow. Welcome to episode 94 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. You can catch new episodes weekly as Brian, Shannon, Ogan, and guests address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. We are brought to you by Wink Wine Club for our viewers out there wink features superbly craft wines delivered right to your door get started at trywink.com slash pt live for twenty dollars off your first order and other savings that's wink with a c even better how about three bottles on us we recently gave away uh three bottles so it's time to do it again so call and leave us a voicemail at 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. You can always email at info at pubtheology.com. Send us a question or comments on a previous discussion or something you'd like us to discuss in the future. And Wink will send you three bottles. You just pay tax and shipping. We will have one winner per month. So we still haven't given away May yet. There it is. There and it is. If you'd like to join us for the live recording of our 100th episode, you can do that at the Wild Goose Festival happening in Hot Springs, North Carolina in July. That's July 12 to 15. Uh, and our topic will be, is it time to go beyond faith? Finding life and meaning in these dark times. And uh, we'll have some beer on hand from our local uh vicinities and some pt live swag so you're going to want to check it out and you can get your tickets at 25 percent off at wildgoosefestival.org using the code goosecast18 and that's all caps you can also join our conversation on twitter or facebook using the hashtag pt live well, today, uh, in light of the royal wedding that happened over the weekend, we'll discuss marriage and what do people mean when they use terms like the sanctity of marriage or traditional marriage or even biblical marriage, and are those helpful terms? And to help us sort through that today, we have guest Rabbi Eli Friedman. He's joining us uh, today. He's the rabbi at Congregation Rodef Shalom in Philadelphia, and I know he's passionate about justice. He has two lovely daughters, and yeah. he loves a good beer. So welcome, Eli. <laughs> Thank you. A pleasure to be here with you guys. Awesome. So what uh, what are you drinking today? And you're probably ready for a beer because you got a newborn in the house, busy times. 
We do. We have, uh, I'm trying to do the math. I think 11 days old. She was born on the 11th. What's the date today? 22nd. Yep. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with 11. Uh, brand new Nora, Nora Mae Friedman. Oh. And awesome. um, yeah, so I'm drinking, uh, we actually bought a special beer for right after she was born for my wife and I to have. And uh, I got a few of them and I'm going to be drinking one today. It is um, a special collaboration brew between uh, Dogfish Head and the Flaming Lips. Uh, the band, which some of you know, it's called Dragons and Yum Yums. Nice. It's a, um, I'll read it. It's a pale ale brewed with dragonberry and yumberry. That is a real berry. Passion fruit pear and black carrot juices. Um, it's a special beer for us. And I have my glass right here that uh, says beer 30, which is what time it is right now. <laughs> and um, nice. but I wanted to pour it out so everyone could see. It's a nice pink beer. Very, uh, and the artwork, very fitting for the Flaming Lips is actually uh, the band that my wife and I met over. When oh. I was in um, seminary, wow. my wife was coming to check out the school. She also has a degree from the same seminary where I studied Hebrew Union College in New York. Uh, she has a degree in Jewish nonprofit management. And when she was coming to look at the school, uh, she was actually in uh, the class, the same class I was in, checking it out, and um, looked across the room and saw like the one cool kid and the whole room who's wearing a Flaming Lips t-shirt. Nice. Um, one of both of our favorite bands. And we ended up chatting after class and the rest is history. So um, this was our, our beer. Uh, we danced to a Flaming Lips song. It was the first dance at our wedding. And wow. um, so I'm pretty excited for That's this awesome. beautiful, fruity pink beer and only six and a half percent alcohol. So hopefully I won't be wasted by the other <laughs> shot. So cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome. Shanna, what are you drinking today? So I'm going to go the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, So this is my, um, so my husband and I are beer snobs. It's just a a fact. And I have one like guilty pleasure beer, which is my like drink all day summer beer kind of thing, um, which is uh, the, the Blue Moon Belgian White. and you put fruit in it which is like for my husband a double like negative right this is you have shitty beer and you put fruit in it like what is wrong with you mass mass produced um he thinks that it is uh he thinks that yeah i'm basically drinking miller light right now for him so yeah um, eli's debating eli's debating leaving the show right now yes right now he's like like this is the one and and even though Eli doesn't listen to the show, um, if you did, I'm gonna start now. I'm really, <laughs> my first like episode. I drink really good beer. In fact, we were at the Dogfish Head Brewery not too long ago, and I had that wow. um, one as a taste. I can vouch for that. Delicious. Yeah, down right. in Rehoboth, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I was. Dan and I will commiserate. We posted our our first. Um, we had our first Shabbat dinner as a family last Friday night, and um, I posted a picture of the 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 set dinner table with the Shabbat candles and everything. And we had a friend over who actually is a bartender and has great beer taste, but just loves Miller Lite because he can pound oh. like, you know, right. five or six of them. This in is music. a hot day beer, and, right? And he wasn't in the picture. He was taking the picture. And the one thing everyone commented on, Brian, you can see this on my Facebook page. Literally, everyone's like, oh, Shabbat Shalom. But Rabbi, what's with the Miller Lite? Miller Lite, <laughs> really? Not mine. It's not mine, it's Sam's, I promise. I also want to say this is the first screw top I have ever had on this show, ever. There you go. The first time. And I honestly did. Like, I, 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 I am drinking it today because we're talking about marriage, and I thought it would be funny. Well done. <laughs> well done. 
Well, I am drinking uh, Shorts Brewing Controversial. It's an IPA uh, brewed up north here in Michigan. And I figured one of us would say something uh, controversial at some oh, point or another on the show. So. By the way, I, I reserve the right to tell my husband not to listen to this episode, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Like, honey, why don't you just skip this week? It'll be fine. Oh, beautiful right, beautiful pour. Thank you. Uh, and this is my glass uh, from Game of Thrones, which says, uh, I drink and I know things. I know. So, oh, it's my favorite. You know. I am drinking a completely inappropriate glass because all of our dishes are dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled out the special beer glasses for my super cheap beer. <laughs> well done. Well done. So to start our conversation, we're going to ask uh, or share, I should say, maybe the best or the worst marriage advice you've ever heard. So, um, you know, it may be something that was spoken to you or just something you've heard said to others. Uh, and all of us have, as clergy have been, you know, involved in weddings and so forth. So what, what's best or worst that you've heard? So I was trying to think, um, and, and Derek and I were talking about this this morning. So um, for those that don't know or don't listen regularly, um, so I was married, uh, my first marriage, I was married for 10 years. We were together five years before that. We were, met in high school and married at 23. And um, then I've, I've been married for the second time, um, six months. So um, I was reflecting that like the second time, nobody gave me any marriage advice. <laughs> like nobody said anything. No, like, you figured it out. Right. Like, oh, you not only know, like, you know, and then some, right? Like, <laughs> um, and I was trying to remember like what people, what advice people gave me. And I, I remember a lot of advice about children giving, but like, um, you know, I mean, the one thing that I got, uh, it, it wasn't so much advice, but um, shortly after we were married, my first husband and I were married, I was in seminary. It was, I, we got married between my first and second year of seminary. And we get this letter in the mail and God bless this woman. She just died last week um, from my ex-husband's great aunt. And it's a check, a very large check, like several thousand dollars, which hey. For those of you that know, it was a very big deal at that time. With a long letter talking about how we are making a huge mistake by putting emphasis and time and money into my career because I'm just going to quit and have babies anyway. Wow. And I was, I'll, I'll say this, like I was the first person on that side of the family, the first woman to work outside the home with kids or to, you know, just continue to work after she had kids. So it, it was a very big change for them. So that was the best marriage advice, right? It was the best. It was the best you could ever give, you know. So the um, thing that I, the thing tell, that tell I Tell us one more time about the check, what she said with the check, because I got, I got paused on my end for a moment. So. Oh, did you? Oh, so she said that it was ridiculous for us to be putting time and energy and money into my education because I was going to be quitting um, right. once I had children. Right. And so this was money this, to kind of help the family get started. And this was money to encourage him for his education oh, I to see. go back and get a master's degree so that we could actually put our money in the right place. Wow. 
So that, that basically she was saying like me going to seminary was a vanity exercise, you know? Oh my, I mean, were you tempted to just light that check on fire, even though you, <laughs> you wanted if the I money? Didn't need the, I was, I was so tempted. And if I did, if we didn't need that, right. Like somebody hands you $5,000, like within two months yeah. of being, and you're completely broke in seminary, right? Yeah, You're taking like, it. You take the money. <laughs> and by the way, put it towards my education. <laughs> mm. So like, you know, that's the way to do it. I right. mean, it was coming from a good place. You could, you know, it's, she, she cares about you. She loves you, but obviously, you know, was not really understanding where your family's at and where your lives were at. And Right. And I did, I mean, I was able, I mean, there was, there was anger about it. And then you were like, I was more in the observation place of this is her view of what marriage is. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah that, um, and this is a woman, she was a school teacher. So it's not like she didn't believe women shouldn't work. It was just, it, it was really interesting. It was hmm. really, really interesting to observe that. Um, yeah. yeah. Brian, what about you? What's the best or worst? Well, um, I'll just, I can't remember anything that came to me specifically, but I'll share what my wife posted in the uh, Facebook. Now how long thread. have you and Christy been married? Um, we have been married. Uh -oh. Spot time. <laughs> 15 years. Nice. Yeah. It'll be 16 in a month and a half. Um, but she shared this. And if you haven't been to our face, Pub Theology Facebook page, check it out because there's a great thread, people posting stuff that's been shared with them uh, that was the worst. We asked what was the worst. And so someone said to Christy after our first son, Henry, was born, you need to, uh, you need to take off the sweatpants, dress up nice when your husband comes home, you know, make make sure you have makeup on because you need to remain attractive so that he remains interested in you. And that will be good for your marriage. And she's just like, please don't talk to me again. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to be around me anymore. <laughs> I've, I've got a kid and I'm wearing sweatpants Absolutely. all day, every week if I want. Wow. So I, um, I'm lucky. I get to do a lot of weddings uh, every year. I actually have uh, two coming up this weekend and I do a lot of uh, marriage counseling with, with couples. And uh, I'm gonna be a rabbi here and go like really long-winded and totally roundabout, but I'll get to a point eventually. Uh, how long do we, is our show, something yeah, like that? Yeah, give it to us. <laughs> um, so it's advice that I, that I give all my couples. And I actually, I, I, I look to a text in our rabbinic tradition. Um, there's a book uh, called Pirkei Avot. It was written around the first century uh, common Era, and it's one of the first books in the Mishnah and later in the Talmud and the rabbinic writings. It means, um, Pirkei Avot literally means like e uh, ethics of our ancestors. And there's a text in Pirkei Avot, I want to say it's like Pirkei Avot, uh, let's go with like 522. Sure, why not? Something like there you that. Go. Um, We're all looking it up right now. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it says there are two types of arguments in this world. Um, an argument for the sake of heaven and an argument not for the sake of heaven. Mm. And they say, what is an example of an argument not for the sake of heaven? And they give the example of that of Korach and his followers. And anyone who remembers in the book of Numbers, uh, Korach is, rebels up against, Mo against Moses and basically rebels. Um, Korach's kind of an asshole. And he basically says, like, how come you get to lead? Like, I come right. from this other tribe. Like, I should be the one in charge. Let me, let me lead. Um, and if anyone remembers, it doesn't really end very well for Korach. Um, God causes the earth to open up and swallow him and his 250. Hundreds of people. Whole. Yeah. Gone. Um, 
It's that nice Old Testament God. You know, we love we love that one in Judaism. Didn't Brian? Didn't you mention that text a few weeks ago? Yeah, we talked about that story a few weeks ago. It's yeah, a, yeah. Oh, all good. right. Bring, bring nice. back good old Korach. Yeah. Um, and then they say, what what is a in Hebrew machlochet l'shem shemaim? What is an argument for the sake of heaven? Mm. Give the example of Hillel and Shammai. And Hillel and Shammai are two of the most famous rabbis from our tradition who constantly are arguing in the Talmud. And um, I'll give an example. One of their most famous arguments is about Hanukkah candles, something, whether you're Jewish or not, you probably know a little bit about Hanukkah. And Shammai says that on the first night of Hanukkah, you should light eight candles. And then on the second night, light seven, and then six, and then five, and working your way down to one to correspond to the story of the oil, that there was a lot of oil, and then it diminished. Hillel says we should light one candle and work our way up to eight so that our light should increase, so that our joy should increase. Very, very nice idea. So who's right? Well, they're both right. And I think the, the point of the authors is that it, it's not that we go with Hillel, anyone who celebrated Hanukkah know that Hillel is the way we choose, but they're not arguing for their ego. They're not arguing for anything else. They're arguing because they're trying to figure out the best way to celebrate a holiday for the Jewish people, for their family. And so when I talk to wedding couples, I always ask them, one of the first questions I ask them is, how do you fight? And any couple that tells me, oh, we don't fight, I say, bullshit. Mm-mm. And then I, spend, I spend the rest of my time trying to get them to fight. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I agree. No, I do the same thing. And, and then we get to the idea that it's okay to fight. Fighting is actually a good thing. We should argue, but it's about how you argue. Are you arguing for your ego? Are you arguing for yourself? Are you arguing to try to figure out what's best for our family? And understanding that in the end, it's not that one is right or wrong. We're going to go with, we're going to choose or maybe compromise or go with one opinion over the other. But that as long as we understand that every argument, if every argument is a an argument for the sake of heaven, then we're good to go. Yeah. Nice. And I think that's, it's great. That brings us to a lot of what a lot of people commented on the Facebook of the worst marriage advice, Right. So there, uh, there was the complementarian argument, right? The male is the head of the household. Yeah. Like that was a lot of advice given there. Um, and I'm not sure that people give that as advice as much as the expectation. Again, like mm. my ex-husband's great aunt's check, right? This is it. This is our expectation of your marriage. Um, but a lot of people gave the advice of like, never go to bed angry, right? Um, never, uh, shoot, there was another one that like, but let, going with the never go, go to bed angry thing, it's like, so what? We're supposed to stay up and keep arguing and it becomes really unproductive, right? And then we don't get sleep and we get angrier. And then we get yeah. angrier even more, right? Like sometimes you need to, like <laughs> Derek and I, this was not against, the, or, like, we were talking about this the other day of like, we have an agreement, like we go to bed angry, but we sleep in the same bed right? We, nobody sleeps on the couch in our house. That's just our like little rule. Right. And, and it's, it's, it was a joke of like, he was so tired that he didn't want to get off the couch and like go upstairs to go to bed. Right. So he was like, but nobody sleeps on the couch in our house. And I'm like, damn straight. Right. Like (laughs) You may be angry as hell, but you are going to sleep next to me. And, and there's just something, I think there's something to giving some space and time, but also like being in proximity, right? Nobody walks out of the argument, but no. you can say, I need, I need a timeout, right? Timeouts are absolutely allowed. But I'm with you. Like if, if a couple walks in and say, oh, we never argue. I actually like, 
I believe them and I think that's a problem. Yeah, it means they're you know, holding right? it in. It means they're not letting it out, you know? They're being, um, there's something building up in there and it's, that's, it means they're not communicating properly. Exactly. And it, and it, and it just builds resentment and it builds all, mm-hmm. just all kinds of problems for later. Yeah. I had a couple once who, um, they're happily married, they're doing great, but the, um, the bride called me, this maybe a couple months before the wedding in tears, and she's like, um, he wants to call off the wedding, we got in this huge fight, and so I brought them in to talk, and um, I said, you know, so what, what was the fight about? A ceiling fan. <laughs> a ceiling, it's, it's never about the fan, right? We right, all know. exactly. She had, she had turned on the fan, he didn't want the fan on, she had turned the fan back on, whatever it was. <laughs> What the fight ended up really being about was he was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's just go to bed. Right. And she was like, no, we're going to talk about yes. this. And then they got, in, it, they got really upset. And what I realized what, as we talked, we looked at sort of the families they'd grown up in, how they fought as families. Yes. She had grown up in a very loud family that always sort of hashed it out. He had grown up in a family that they sort of swept things under the rug. And when we began to uncover that, we realized that it was, they had done, you know, as soon as she understood that he needed space and as soon as he understood that he needed to assure her that they were going to talk about it, that he wasn't just going to forget about it and that they could communicate around that, it like, it solved everything. It was incredible. It was like day and night. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I, I always go to family of origin stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's always the, the, the first thing of like, you should be aware. Yeah. Oh, it's the model of marriage that we all have. Absolutely. Any, or, or, I mean, like the lack of, right? Like, so even like you've always had your parents, but maybe they weren't in a loving relationship. Maybe they were just, they were in a loveless marriage, like marriage your parents were. And, you know, that was the other thing on the Facebook page of like, stay together for the sake of the children, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Never, ever, ever get divorced. No, you know, matter if there's abuse or not, like just never, Mm. that is against God. You know, this, all this kind of rhetoric that, that, that religion has used um, because Jesus is against divorce or whatever. Right. Like um, one one that uh, cracked me up was Kelly on Facebook said uh, someone told her, Put an onion in the oven a half hour before he gets home. Oh, so yeah. It appears that something is cooking. What? And, and I mean, I do want to say, so, I mean, I'm, I'm 38 years old. So, I mean, I'm on that, I'm that, you know, Oregon trail generation. Like I'm on the cusp, right. Of Gen X and, and yeah. millennials. And, um, but I, I'm the youngest of four. And so I really identify more with Gen X generation. And as much as I grew up with that, uh, with the very, like, um, I mean, I had a very untraditional, traditional family, right? This, um, my parents were divorced and then my mother very quickly remarried um, this man and, and they basically had this loveless marriage for 35 years and then she walked out on him again because she's crazy and whatever else. But anyway, so... I, I watch this, you know, she works four jobs or three jobs because she has children to support. And then she comes home and cooks dinner and she's grouchy all the time. And, you know, I, I don't even know, I, I don't even pretend to know what their marriage was like. Right. Like, I, but there is this kind of constant idea of it's better to stay together and it's better to live into the traditional wife role. Right. Of like, pretend that you've cooked. 
Like even if you haven't, as right. if like you're gonna take some half baked onion out of I the know. and like be like, here's some dinner, sweetheart. Like, right. I, I just don't get that one. I don't get that one. What? And, and then he runs home and you run in the kitchen and make your real meal. Like what the fuck? No, what is who came up with that one? Love me some good some good half baked onion. Right? Exactly. A delicious baby. All right. Really. So I, I'm gonna ask about one more and then we'll move on to yeah. uh, talking about traditional marriage. Um Somebody said advice that was given to them was it's healthy to keep secrets because everybody lies. Oh God. And so what, what do you think about that? Uh, because I, I'm kind of, I, I'm wondering. Mm. Is I that think, good advice um, or bad advice to keep secrets? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't like the whole because everybody lies piece. Um, right. I think, I think what I often say to people is, um, you, uh, there's a, there's a, a Jewish concept of tochecha, which means in Hebrew rebuke. Hmm. Um, and it, it, it comes from Leviticus 19 after it says, you know, um, you shall love your neighbor. And it says, you shall surely rebuke or, or reprove your neighbor. Um, and the idea is it comes out of love, but, um, I guess that's the one area where I think sometimes it's not necessarily a secret, but sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut. Um, and I think people often take that too much and they say, well, I'm just being honest. I just need to share this. I just need to say this. Sometimes there's things where, you know what? Call your buddy up, go to the bar, talk to your bartender. There's certain things you need to think about the intention. Yeah. If you're saying something, who are you saying this for? Are you, I think we can be overly honest sometimes. And are we sharing this with our spouse? Is it for us or is it actually for them? Yeah. So I think that's the only time it's not, it's not lying, but I think there's times when when we do overshare um, because we need to vent and actually we're just being hurtful. Good. I, I like well, that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. And, and I think, I do think that's different than lot, like holding secrets. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, we all counsel couples, couples that have been married 10 years and they come out and they say, you know, I really need to admit out loud that I'm not happy. And I've been holding that in for years, right? you know, and, and like you've been, and, and, and I will even hear from them. I'm living this lie of this perfect family and we're not, and I need to, you know, I want to fix that. I want to change that. Um, but I mean, I also, again, like I really promise not to talk too much about this, but like, um, I thought that in my first marriage, I had a very open, honest marriage and, and, you know, and I'm not, I wasn't living a lie. Like I very much was living something very real. And there came a point where, um, there was a lie that was there mm. and it, it did kind of destroy what I thought was something pretty great. And, and it's, it's different, right? Like, um, I do think there are places to hold things from your spouse. Like, <laughs> you know, they've gained a little weight and like, I'm not feeling so great about myself. I mean, this isn't real for me at all or anything, but you know, <laughs> like I need my husband to lie to me. Please lie to me. Like, yes, baby, you look yeah. beautiful. Like I need that lie. Please do that. <laughs> yeah. But there are real damaging lies that are not okay. Yeah, for sure. For I just sure. need to say that out loud, right? No, I think there's a, um, I, I love that idea. There's actually a, a famous uh, midrash, a sort of uh, commentary 
that um, even God actually lies um, for the sake of what we call in Hebrew, shalom bayit, peace in the home. Um, if you do a really close reading of, in Genesis of the story of Abraham and Sarah, when, uh, when God says to Sarah, you're going to have a child, um, Sarah, if you look closely at what she says, she says, no way, my husband is so old. Right. How can I possibly have a child? And she laughs. Yep. And then God goes to Abraham and says, yes, we're going to call the, name, the child Isaac because Sarah laughed. And Abraham's like, God, why did she laugh? And God repeats it differently. And God says, oh, Sarah said, I'm so old. Me, Sarah, is so old. Right. I have a child. And the rabbis look at that and they say, that's not what she said. God lied. Right. <laughs> God lies for the sake of shalom bayit, for the sake of peace in the home. Perfect. And I think those kind of lies actually can help, yeah, it can help preserve a marriage. Right. Excellent. Excellent. So um, back in uh, 2013, uh, Ohio Republican Bill Johnson said, I will defend traditional marriage because it's not a government's job to define it. It was already defined by God. So what do people usually mean by the terms traditional marriage or even biblical marriage? and why do you think those may or may not be appropriate or helpful terms, or at least they might need to expand their notion of what those terms really mean? When somebody uh, says biblical marriage, like I do, I'm one of those people that I'm just like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. Like years ago when we were fighting about same sex marriage, right. There yeah. were these lists, like all the merit marriage, quote unquote, in the Bible of like, yeah. It, and it, I mean, they're great. Look them up, somebody. <laughs> like, they're so funny. You know, what? what's our model? David and Bathsheba, please. Like, come on. How about Judah and Tamar? It's even more ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. Mm. I, I mean, Tell look, people that don't know the story. Tell them the story. Oh, I mean, it's it's probably one of the, you couldn't even make, this is like better than soap opera, right? Right. <laughs> Judah, who's one of the sons of Jacob. Yep. And Judah has, Judah has three sons. He has um, his oldest son, Er, and then Onan, and then Shelah. And his oldest son, Er, uh, marries this woman, Tamar. And uh, before they're able to produce an heir, and what you have to, no pun, in, pun intended, I right. um, uh, he dies. And we have to understand, I think, in reading the Bible is, this is written, this is written at a time of real tribalism, right? Yeah. And it's all about increasing your numbers, For right? Sure. And the best way to make your tribe bigger is having babies. I mean, if there's one theme that runs through, especially the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, it is procreation. The first commandment given to Adam and Eve, be yeah. fruitful, multiply. When God makes a covenant with Abraham, he says, your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sands of the sea. I mean, if there's one thing, it is all about yeah. making more babies. And there's and, a- Sorry, a, if I can interject, yeah. I just want to interject that like Tamar is a foreigner in this land. Yes, exactly. And so it's even more dangerous for her to not be part of the tribe. Yeah. And so there's this concept of Leverite marriage, which if that's biblical marriage, then I'd love to see the senator go and uh, do some Leverite marriage, right? Right. So Leverite marriage is the idea that if, you're, um, if you die before you produce an offspring, you're next in line. Your younger brother needs to marry your widow and produce a child. And that child will not be considered his, but we considered yours as a way of redeeming his brother. So right. then Onan, the next in line, marries Tamar. That's biblical marriage for you. And Onan, of course, the very famous uh, idea, as Onan is, is, is getting it on with Tamar, he, um, 
I think the exact biblical translation is something like jizz is on the floor. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it totally is. <laughs> Some would maybe say spills his seed. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's struck down by God. By the right. way, the whole like Catholic interpretation of like spilling the seed is based on this and is wrong because God didn't strike him down for spilling his seed. God struck him down for not fulfilling his right. Exactly. Or his duty as to, to honor his brother. That's right. So then Judah is then, so then Judah's got one more son, but Judah's like, dude, this woman is like, got some bad voodoo on her. I don't want to give her my other son because he might die. So right. Tamar's like, release me. Let me go back to my land, to my, to my people. And Judah's like kind of a dick and says, no. So Tamar takes matters into her own hands, the only sort of agency she has. She dresses up like a hoe, seduces Judah, who doesn't know it's Tamar. When uh, he goes to pay her, he's like, oh, I left my wallet at home. Let me just leave you with my seal and my scepter and my cloak or whatever. And then a few months later, she's pregnant. Judah sees her and is like, you hoe, you slept outside this family, you got pregnant, brings her in front of the town square, ready to like shame her. And it's like, who's the, who's the father? And then Tamar, you know, pulls the trump card, shows the items, you know, pulls out the seal and the scepter and goes, the father is the one who owns these. Bam. Boom. <laughs> and Judah's like, she's right. I'm, I'm wrong. Now, what's so messed up is their child, Perez, they have twins. One of their child, Perez, is the great, 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 great grandfather of King David, right. where the messianic line comes from. So yeah. like, that's, that's supposed to be the ideal of marriage. Um, yeah, I don't know so much about that one. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And, yeah, it's, it's, anyway, just this, the, when, especially when politicians pull this out, right, the, the traditional biblical marriage. I think they go to, I mean, now the, it was uh, like Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve bullshit, mm-hmm. right? When right. you go to that level. Like, I, you know, <laughs> It, that argument breaks down to me in like, where did Mrs. Kane come from, right? So <laughs> just one more, it's like, no, God created man and woman and they had babies and that's the way it was supposed to be. And I'm like, right, so where did Mrs. Kane come from? Because <laughs> Kane got married. So are you saying he married his sister? Because if that's the case, also, that's not a biblical model of marriage that I want to uphold. Thank you very Kane much. Kane was his last name? Right, exactly. Just wondering how that one. And then, I mean, and so, or they look at um, Mary and Joseph, right? That's that's the next, at least the the people that are using biblical marriage right. in this way. Yeah, they jump to to um, Mary and Joseph, and that's when we get into the more um, marriages arrangement as covenant between families, as. Yeah. Um, it's not about romantic love, right? It's still not about love, like marriage and love the way that we think of it today. Well, that's right. That's right. And it's helpful to remember that women uh, held a much lesser role in terms of uh, their own inherent value. And they were viewed as property. And these were like property arrangements and connecting tribes and families together for some long-term advantage. It wasn't about what the two individuals, you know, always felt in their heart. In fact, it usually wasn't that at all. Uh, right. And it wasn't always voluntary. Like they didn't even always know that they were being arranged in marriage. Right. Like that's right. you were, you were told this was going to happen to you. Um, that's, that's right. That's right. I think let alone going all the way. I mean, one of the things I guess I feel to mention is, is just for those people that don't feel that marriage is for them. Right. Like 
let alone going to all the way to that point, the idea that you wouldn't be married is wouldn't be married is absolutely catastrophic in this time, you know. Yeah, in the time of the scriptures, that's right. Right, exactly. That, that's right. So, what about this idea um, about who defines marriage? You know, because we have this struggle um, in our society where the government is sort of saying, you know, who can be married, but then we have church and synagogue and religious groups who are trying to define marriage. And in some countries, what they've done is just separate that and say, you, you may have a civil union with whoever you decide to make that sort of contract with, and the government will authorize that. If you want to also have a spiritual, spiritual uh, ceremony or religious ceremony, mm-hmm. go ahead. But the, you know, the, not the state's job to determine that. So talk about that a little bit. And yeah, and when you do a wedding, do you say, I, I now pronounce you husband and wife or wife and wife by the power of the state or by the power of my religious tradition? How do you two do that when you're convening a ceremony? Yeah, I, it's actually interesting. I love that last question because um, there's no, I, I looked this up, there's no, at least in Pennsylvania, you don't actually have to say by the power vested in me by the mm-hmm. Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I okay. now pronounce yada, yada, yada. Um, I often do, if you, if you look at a traditional Jewish ceremony, there's no pronouncement. That's an American thing, right? Okay. I always ask most couples, I'm like, do you want some sort of pronouncement? Most couples say yes. And for yeah. the most part, I usually do something like, it's my pleasure to pronounce you husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weddings where I've had people insist that I do by the power vested in me are same sex ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. Um, in recent years where it, it is so important that, that the whole congregation hears that this is legal. This yes. is something that, that, mm-hmm. our, that our country, our government has ordained. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that can be very powerful, especially for those ceremonies. Yeah. See, I, I hate that I am an agent of the state. <laughs> I do. I, and, and I don't make my couples, some pastors actually do, I don't make my couples go and get married by the state and then have their religious ceremony with me only because I like my couples and I don't want to make life harder for them. Oh, sure. I, yeah. Right. But I don't like, do that either because our, in our country, that's not typically how we do it unless people want only a non-religious service. Exactly. Piece, right. And, and I, but I have to say I am doing more and more weddings where the couple comes to me and says, um, we're already married because we needed health insurance. Mm-hmm. And our, yeah, like, and our parents don't know. Yep. So can and I'm like, listen, it is a, it it is nothing different, but me signing a piece of paper or not. Like, and I've had several couples in the last few years that are like sneaking off and getting married for state reasons, right? Because yeah. health insurance, because what I mean, whatever, because someone's sick, and if they died before they you know, before their ceremony. I mean, really like these are scenarios that are going on. And, and I, I actually prefer it because it, it is about the ceremony then. And, and, um, now we don't have any sort of, especially in Maryland, um, in Maryland, there's nobody signs that document, but me, like, there's there's no witnesses. Do what? There's no witnesses. No. Yeah. Same in Pennsylvania. Really? And actually Pennsylvania has something you can get called a Quaker license. You know, mm. where, where 
we're all Quaker here, William Penn and all that. Right. Where, because um, if you think about Quakers, they have no officiants, right? A Quaker service is very yes. Uh, Quaker license, two people sign it: the bride and the groom. The bride and groom, yeah. Actually, marry each other, and that's the way it's done. And I've had couples, even though they're Jewish, and I'm doing the ceremony, they've had a Quaker license, and they just sign it. Yep. And I've actually, that's, a, that's becoming a newer and newer thing for people that don't want an officiant. Like they and, don't have to get their friend to go online and become a universal life church, which is. Which I mean, I'm life. sorry. No offense to all my universal life ministers out there, but seriously. But I, that's my favorite thing, by the way. I'm going to harp on this for the rest of my life because I'm sorry. And I'm like, I'm a minister. And they're like, actually, I am too. And I want to punch him in the throat. <laughs> Did you, no, did you you're not. Years, you go to five years of seminary because I did. Yeah, I did exactly. too. Yes, yeah, so I know. Um, but but I do. I hate I hate that I'm an agent of the state in this regard. Like, I want this to be now. Again, I'm like I was just about to say I want this to be a traditional religious ceremony. And what is that, right? Like, we have like the sand thing isn't anything in our tradition. Like, that's not in my book of worship like you gotta explain that one to me i don't uh, don't do that with the jews again these are all these are all like cultural like oh we're gonna you know um it's It's like a unity candle kind of exactly so there's the unity candle thing where you take two lights and you make one flame because i guess you don't have your identities anymore i don't know and then you so this is a sand thing where you each get a color of sand and you like mix. So it's like you're layering your live. I don't know. And it can never be unmixed, right? That's, right? that's Yeah. And, and I'm like, what happened? Yeah, like, so me, I'd take that home and it'd fall over on the floor and I'd have Sand kernels out. Wow. That'd be a lot. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so anyway. Be a lot. Um, and I, I actually am pretty liberal. Like people can do what they want in their ceremony to me. Right. Like there's, I, there's very few lines like that I draw in what they in what they want. Um, I mean, I draw lines as in we don't want God in our ceremony. Well, then get somebody else, right? Like those are like I'd rather draw those lines than care about a sand thing or a unity candle, you know. Um, whatever. Shannon, let me ask you. I'm just interested. I, it's a little off topic, but um, that's something that comes up a lot with my couples and. Mm-hmm. Um, I often, I, I quote one of my favorite Jewish philosophers, Martin Buber, who once said, um, the word God is the most burdened of all human words and there can be no legitimate use of it. Mm. And by that, I mean, I will, I will often do ceremonies where I never say G-O-D, God. Right. I talk about the Holy One of Blessing. I talk about the spirit of the universe. I'll use God's name in Hebrew. Um, but... I find a lot of couples, and this may be more in Judaism, get very turned off by the word God because um, it has, especially in America, um, you know, a lot of people, their first image is like a dude on a cloud with a big white beard writing yeah. in it. And that's not God to me. I doubt that's God to you. And that's definitely not God to these couples. Right. And so, um, so I often do ceremonies where I don't mention the name God, but it's still a religious ceremony and I'm talking about God. I'm just not saying God. I mean, so it's interesting because I have, so I married, um, years ago, I married my sister and her husband. That's one of the prohibited uh, marriages. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not allowed to marry my sister. Right. (laughs) I officiated the wedding ceremony of my sister and her husband. (laughs) That, um, 
<laughs> it was illegal for multiple reasons then, although <laughs> we were from Kentucky, so. Uh, <laughs> but she wanted, um, she wanted, uh, we read a roomy poem. Yeah. We read, like, um, we got married and, or, or I like, she got married, <laughs> we got married. Oh God, y'all. <laughs> Man, this blue moon's really kicking in. Um, <laughs> it was a Methodist, it was the Iron Methodist Church. And I'm, I mean, I'm Presbyterian and whatever, but like, I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that, right? Like, I have no problem reading scriptures from other, other religions in this. We read poetry all the time. And I actually, I did a, I didn't even do a New Testament text because they, weren't comfortable with the Jesus language, you know, and, and we had a long conversation about, I think for me, it gives them opening that up of saying, I, I really will draw a line, but let's talk about who God is and what God is and how that works. And, and oftentimes I did a wedding last uh, December where really there, there was no prayer in the whole wedding official prayer, right? And yet there was all of this poetry and there was all of this music and um, there were not any scripture readings. And the reality is, is that that ceremony um, was the, one of the most prayerful, loving, beautiful ceremonies I've ever done. Spiritual. Yeah, exactly. And it's not because it was spiritual, but not religious. It was very religious. Yeah but they were hung up on those words, right? So that if I, if I did prayer in the traditional way, then, and said amen at the end, right? If I started it with holy one <laughs> and ended it with amen, they, for whatever reason, had a problem with that. And by the way, we talked all through that, that by the time that the, the ceremony came, I really didn't do I'll be really honest. I really didn't do anything different besides take out those trigger words and they loved every second of it. Right. That's right. And, and it's because like, I do think a ceremony should be authentically you and them and you should walk away with this. But like, I'm also very clear that like you can take out the word, but the whole point of, of I like you are doing this before God and these witnesses, whether or not we say the word or not. Yep. And whether or not you use me or not, but you're, you've asked me to do this and right. this is what I represent. So question for you both. And I think I've had this conversation with you before, Eli, but refresh my memory. Do yeah. either of your congregations have requirements about who either you can officiate for or who can use your um, congregation's uh, worship space for a wedding? Yeah, so we... Um you know, I'll start with the easier one. In terms of space, um, first of all, in Judaism, you don't need to be, be married in a synagogue. You can get married anywhere. And actually, the majority of weddings I do are at the venue just because it's easier for the yeah. couple. Um, however, if people do want to be married in our space, it has to be one of our clergy. Um, it can be okay. a co-officiation with another clergy. Um, yep. uh, we require that folks become members of our congregation, mm-hmm. um, which means they're invested in the community. And we think that's really important. Um, so I don't do like freelance weddings in that way. 
Um, but then the biggest thing for us is around interfaith marriage. So um, there are yeah. many, really a lot, a lot of Jews and a lot of rabbis, especially in the Orthodox and conservative world and some in the reform world, um, do not officiate at interfaith ceremonies. Our congregation as a reform congregation, we do. And we're happy to marry folks um, uh, where one partner's Jewish and one partner's not. However, we have a really important caveat, and that is that the family is committed to having a Jewish home. So we don't require that other partner to convert, but if they are planning on having children, we ask that they choose to raise those children in the faith. Um, we also, um, for the most part, do not co-officiate, meaning we're not going to be doing a, a Jewish Christian like half-half ceremony with a with a with a uh, a pastor like that, right? Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, we um. So I don't I don't do outside weddings unless they're like personal friends, only because of time. Like it's <laughs> yeah. right because weddings are on Saturdays and Friday Friday night rehearsals and Saturdays and yep. and that's family time for me. Um. I've actually thought about it, to be honest, um, because of the money. And that sounds terrible. But, you know, after I got divorced, like I was trying to find ways to make more money. And yeah. that was a gift that I had. <laughs> right. What's, what's the going rate in the uh, Presbyterian church these days? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, good question. I'm taking I notes. I don't know, but I'll tell you. So in this area, um, I charge, I'll, I will happily tell you, like, I don't think it should be anything I should be embarrassed about. Um, I charge $500. Oh, dude, you got to go higher. You're worth I know, right? Seriously. Um, wow. So, See, I do like half that. No. Oh, well, man, you're selling yourself short. Come on, man. Is that so I, like, all the premarital meetings and everything? Yeah. Six yeah. premarital oh, sessions. Oh, that's, you're worth a lot more than that, Shannon. Well, so most of them are parishioners. I mean, right, because okay. I don't do outside weddings. So they're either parishioners or they're friends. Okay, so it's, yeah. Right? So, and, I, and, I, and I'll be honest, like, I don't get you a wedding gift, right? That is, like, that is part of my gift. Um, <laughs> That's right. You know, and I'm, I'm, we actually, I mean, when we got married, this was really hard last, um, my husband and I got married in October, and we had, we're both ministers, and actually, that was the big joke is like, are we going to get a Quaker um, certificate? <laughs> Not <marry> each other. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, because, you know, and we actually, I'll say this too. Like, we only had a wedding. Um, we had a wedding, like, for two reasons. But one, there were 40 people invited, right? So it's, you know, we did not get married in a church. We got married at a restaurant downtown on the, on the water, because water is very significant and beautiful yeah. and wonderful for us, right? Um, and, and renewing. Um, we did it for the kids, because we have four children. Um, two, two of us brought two children. Um, it's like the Brady Bunch at your house. We are. We are the Brady Bunch. Um, we don't have Alice. I really need an Alice really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll be honest. more for your weddings you could get an Alice. <laughs> right? It should have yeah. been. And we asked a friend of ours to officiate who was my friend before. And like, actually, Jeff and Derek went to seminary together. So Jeff knew us separately. And then he was one of the first people to know about us as a couple. Cool. And it just amazing, right? So, so a lot of thought went into it. But the most important thing for us to do, like why we didn't just sneak off to a beach with our kids, 
is that our community is vital mm. to us. Yeah. Absolutely vital. And that's why we had a wedding again. And, and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, and the other thing was we'd both done the church wedding thing and neither, and, and both like both of our weddings, even as we talk about them now, they became something that was beyond us and not in the good way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it became about a dress and a flowers and a, like this whole industry of wedding yep. that wasn't like very much wasn't me. Um, it, you know, what, anyway, it just, it's when, when I'm listening to all of this stuff about traditional marriage and whatever, I mean, and, and as let's like jump to the Royal wedding, right? Like I actually thought that wedding was very beautiful. Um, I thought there was a lot of beautiful music and a lot of good like church tradition for particularly for a family that is all about tradition. Like that's what their family is built on this monarchy and this tradition. Um, and yet breaking the barriers through that tradition, very beautiful. But the, the arguments of like her dress was too plain and her blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, are you listening to yourself? Like that was the most, one of the, one of the most extravagant things I've ever seen. And you're saying it wasn't enough. Like, what have we turned this into? I don't know. There's yeah, my, what did, they, what did they spend 15 million on that wedding? I really right. think one E is kind of what it deserved. <laughs> I mean, her dress needed a little, a little sash, a little, you know, I, I have to say if, if I got asked to officiate more $15 million weddings, I think I'd, I'd my fee would be I'd more than $500. <laughs> I had a I had a rabbi friend who once said, "I just asked for ten percent of what they're paying the florist." I, I mean, Ooh, I, mean I like cheap, that. I mean, we're the cheapest part of their wedding. We are right? the cheapest part, exactly. And, and, and they balk at it. Should be the most important part. They and balk at it. Yes, it's, it's seen as sort of an afterthought, and they spend. You know, I the number of times I've I've had couples reach out to me like three months before the wedding. Yes. Yet they've had their venue for 18 yes. months. They've had their florist. They've had their DJ. They've had the band. And um, yeah, I think that's, you know, a, a product of our society in a lot of ways. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? And then they're asking you to help arrange the whole service, to, have, to give it a certain feel, to really bring it all together and to create, you know, to give a short message that's full of heart and yet funny and they're going to remember forever. It's like, well, Florence just has to bring freaking flowers. Right. They show <laughs> up, they bring the flowers, they walk away. That's easy. Well, so I actually used to charge less for um, a wedding in the church and mm -hmm. charge more for a, a separate venue. And I was like, that's ridiculous. It is way more work for me to have the wedding in the church. Yeah, you have to coordinate and stuff. To show, like, I love it when they have a separate venue because I get to show up, I get to do the ceremony if I'm staying for the reception, which I, I only do rarely, right? Again, because family time. Um, uh, and then I leave and like somebody else locks up. Like, I'm like, this is amazing. I don't have to arrange for somebody to be there and let the florist in and do this. Like, so, and and I've actually, so we we do have, Brian, just to go back, like, the church has a, a fees of non-member mm -hmm. fees. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that um, I have never had a non-member. Um, I've, ha I've had non-members get married there, but they are attending members, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
and for the for the same reasons, Eli, you were talking about, right? Like they yeah. they need to buy community. into this community. They need to yep. be invested. Um, but I I really think that it's honestly just there so that members, because it's like you know two hundred dollars for the sanctuary for blah 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 blah, right? Whatever. I, I'm making up. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But you give you you have to give that sheet to the members that get married there, and I think it's for them to be like guys, this is what you're supposed to be paying. <laughs> like, I think oh, they yeah. give that non-member price so that members know what they're supposed to pay. <laughs> right. But, you know. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm in a congregation that doesn't have its own building. And so, right. you know, for me at the current time, like people are having to find a, a venue and, uh, you know. So, so have you ever done a renewal? A renewal, like a renewal of vows. We, um, we do, uh, we do every year. We have a service, a, a Friday night Shabbat service. Nice. It's actually coming up in a couple of weeks. That is our Shabbat with our renewal of vows. And what we do is we invite couples in multiples of five years. So anyone's been married five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and anyone's been married over fifty years, fifty-one, fifty-two, fifty-three. They all come. And what we do is at the same time, they all come up onto the bima, which is like the, the stage, the raised platform where mm-hmm. we conduct services. We set up a chuppah, a, a, marriage, a wedding canopy yeah. for them. And we have them all take their rings off and we do a traditional, you know, it's basically a whole wedding ceremony. It's a shortened, we do about 15 minutes. Um, yeah. In front of the whole congregation, they all invite their families. And they, it's like a, you know, a big mass wedding. Um, right. And it's it. so beautiful. And we usually have like a festive um, celebration afterwards with some food and things. And it's, yeah. it's one of the highlights of our year. And we do it every year. We call it our like reconsecration of vows. Yeah. I've, I've, um, I, that's great. I've, I've, we had um, a rash of like divorces, right? Actually right around the time I got divorced in our congregation. And I've actually been looking for a way of, of like celebrating couples, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's really beautiful. Um, you know, watching, I, I really won't spend, I, I didn't watch the whole Royal Wedding thing. I'm not, I'm really not that kind of person. I obviously watched Bishop Curry's sermon. I thought it was amazing. Um, and I watched a few of the music pieces cause I, I love music and, and all of that. And I looked at the pictures but one of the things I, one of the things that somebody did say to me, this isn't actually advice, but one of the things she said to me, it's a friend of mine who is around my same age, who um, got divorced. She doesn't have kids, but she got divorced a couple of years before I did. And at our wedding, she said, um, you know, I think that what you're doing is the most hopeful thing I can think of <laughs> to, yeah. to choose to marry again. Right. Right. And, and I just, that has stuck with me, right? Like how much hope that you have to have to enter into that kind of covenant again, after you've been just hurt so tragically. Right. And, and, you know, for Meghan Markle to stand up Mm. there, right. And yes, she's marrying a prince and blah, 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 blah. But like those same feelings, this is a divorced woman who is, is making this commitment again like what a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's the advice that I give couples a lot, right? Like you, you have to find a way to keep choosing each other and choosing the best for each other. And, you know, eventually in my first marriage, that became a choice to let him go. 
right? Like yeah. that the most loving thing I can do is, is to release you from this because that is clearly what you want and to not hold on so tight. And that's a very hard thing for me to do. I'm a, I'm, I hold on till that last little second. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I did a, what I held on to the second time too. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. Um, I did a renewal of vows several years ago for a couple. They've been married 15 years. He is a former Roman Catholic priest. Uh-huh. And they met. Um, she was attending his church and they met. And wow. um, he left the church. He left... Um, the priesthood and he spent a period of time in discernment. And I told this story at their vow renewal. Um, He spent a period of time in discernment to ask God whether or not he was called to be married. Mm. And then he asked himself whether or not he was called to be married to her. Mm. And I was just so taken aback because, because of the rules of Roman Catholic priests, right? Like you take a vow of chastity and, and you shouldn't be married and, you know, all of those things. And I said, that is never a question that I asked myself. Mm. Like, I don't think that That's is a question that we ask ourselves. Yeah. Right? Am I called to be married? Like, yeah. and then am I called to be married to this person? Yeah, two separate questions. Very, very different questions, right? right. He right. would, he didn't, and and that's the clear thing, right? He didn't leave the priesthood for her. Yeah, that's not the way it went. He fell in love, and he said, "Wait a second. So, God, are you telling me that I'm called to be married? Like, is that is that the call you're now steering me towards?" And that for him, that process was just as important to to enter a covenant of marriage as it was to enter a covenant into ministry. Yeah. Wow. And I just, I have held onto that so very tightly. And so this time around, I did ask myself that question, right? Like I've been divorced and I have like, this is where people are like, well, the only reason to get married is to have children, right? That's the point of procreate. Like that's the point of sex. That's the point of everything. Right. That's traditional marriage. (laughs) And I'm like, so you're saying I should right? like I should spend the rest of my days because I I've produced children. So I'm done. Right. right? And so then to ask yourself, like, am I called to be married again? Yeah, that's that's a question. And then am I called to be married to Derek? And obviously I answered no to (laughs) (laughs) nonetheless. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. So we're moving toward our close here, but uh, Eli, I'll give you a chance if there's any uh, final, final wisdom or final thoughts on uh, marriage, weddings, anything that comes to mind. You know, I'll just share a story based on what Shannon said. One of the most beautiful weddings I did just a couple months ago was um, two men in their seventies who had both been married previously to women. And, you know, they grew up in a time where they never asked those questions. And I think they just, they went along with what the norm was and they both married women and they both had families. Um, And later in life, they both came out of the closet and uh, sort of older, um, older gay meet up and um, fell in love. And it was one of the most beautiful ceremonies I ever did with their, their families there, with their wives and their children attending. And you really, I mean, it was, it was love and it was amazing how everyone was sort of just so in the moment and so happy for them. 
And um, I think it just, you know, it just shows that when we think about what traditional marriage is, there is no such thing. And, and this was just as beautiful a marriage as any other that I've ever seen. Great story and a, and a great way to close. So thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can connect and spread the word with us on social media. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or iTunes. Please rate us there because that helps us know what you're thinking about the show, helps other people find us. If you'd like to watch us, you can do that on YouTube or the New Thought channel. And if you want to find a conversation group in your local neighborhood brewery or bar, check out the directory at pubtheology.com. And thank you again to our sponsor, Wink Wine Club, who you'll find at trywink.com slash ptlive. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. Cheers. And at the end of my beer, I get dessert. Like, how can you not like that? <laughs> you have to eat the fruit. That's the best part. The fruit of the I soaked in beer. <laughs> soaked it, yeah. Well, that's true. That's like having the olive at the end of your martini. Exactly, it? right? Delightful. Oh, part. oh, guys, this was such a pleasure. I'm definitely going to listen to the show now. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to tune in. Of course, you want to listen to this one and hear how it all came together. I think it was. I, um, I've actually been to the local pub theology in my neighborhood in Fishtown. Nice. Um, two great guys. Yep, pub theology Fishtown. And you know, Sean actually yep. messaged yeah, me. Exactly, and, yeah. And Sean said, I may send you some beers from Fishtown so you can drink them on the show. Sweet. Oh, there we go. He's an awesome guy. Yeah, we had a good time. Man, sounds great. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. See you guys. <laughs>